Talk dirty to me. The Quick and the Dirty with Hillary and Sandra. You're kidding me. Here are things that I have put in my mouth. Um, oh my God, Hillary. <laughs> it's what everyone is talking about. I'm Hillary from London. And I'm Sandra from Ottawa. And this is the Quick and the Dirty podcast. It's basically uh, where Sandra and I talk about how we fail at life. You laugh at us and we cry about it later when the mics are off. We also have amazing guests that join us and our guest today is no different. This tip. <laughs> Speaking of failing at life, how's that going for you, I Sandra? I feel like it's too early to fail in the podcast, but here I go again. Uh, this week, we welcome a very exciting guest, a TV producer and director named Kelly Peckham. But I would like to actually temper it by saying she's more of an adventure seeker than anything. I can't wait to hear her story. We'll be talking to her in just a few. But first, Sandra, how did you fail? <laughs> I mean, other than just talking this morning. Like just by waking up and breathing feels like a fail on some days like this morning. I, can I just say one thing? And I even said it to, to you before we started to record the podcast. I've developed allergies later in life. And my right eye is leaking right now to the point that I can't even wear eye makeup on it. And that is, it's been disastrous. You know, as a woman in your 40s, I think your eye leaking is the least of the leaking issues. <laughs> oh, I didn't say it's the only part of me that's leaking. I'm just saying that my eye's leaking right now. Believe me, I'm falling apart at every single orifice. I mean, you've had two kids, so... Oh, I know. I feel like that's a given, right? And one of them was almost 10 pounds. But my right eye is burning and it's leaking right now and I'm veering to the right, so I'm trying to focus. But anyway, this is just like an excuse for me being performing poorly, okay? It's okay. this week's this excuse. This week's excuse is that my right eye is leaking. Uh, okay. All right. I have to... Okay. I don't even know how to begin this week's quick, except to say, um, I don't know what to do when there's a naked man in front of me. <laughs> uh, a couple of nights ago, I hosted a girls' night out from my radio station. We went out to see the world famous Thunder from Down Under, which is oh, yeah. is that the guys in the kilts with not much else? They're not in kilts. They're Australian. Okay. And uh, they are, they, I can't even say they're wearing kilts or any, like they're not wearing pants or anything. So I don't know how they really start. <laughs> they end off wearing G strings for the most part. And there's something about watching a man dance and gyrate and act sexy in front of you that makes me wildly uncomfortable and giggly and stupid. Because there is nothing attractive about the male genitalia. There is. I'm just going to put it out there. It's awkward. I like what it does for me, but I don't want to see it in front of my face. I completely agree with you. I don't know what to do when there's a man in front of me gyrating who is just about naked and wearing a loincloth. I don't know where to look. Do I look at your eyes? Do you want me to look at your package? I don't know where to look. And well, I think if that's what they're there for, they expect you to look at the package. I, there are some women in the crowd who are like all up in that. And I cannot for the I'm like in between. There's there's three kinds of women who go to these shows. There's the, the first kind that love it and are all in it and they want to go on stage and they want touching. And then there's me who was like, I'm <laughs> I'm entertained by it. I'm uncomfortable, but please don't touch me and I don't want to touch you. But right. I, I want to do a little peeksies here and there. And then you want to like do the the horror movie watch where your hands, your fingers are open and you're looking right. through them, but you're not really. Yeah. But I want to laugh and enjoy the entertainment value because they, they're also really funny and they're dancing and, they, and, and there's a lot of comedy in it, too. And they can appreciate the fact that it's very unnatural to have a naked man dancing that way in front of a woman. It's funny and we 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 can appreciate the comedy value. And the third are those women who are just mortified the entire. 
entire time. <laughs> and you could just see they desperately need to get laid, but they just won't acknowledge that. You know what I mean? And they just it's like, girl, just open your eyes and take it all in, for God's sake. Do you can I just tell you what I saw that I I mean, I've seen some things in Life Hills, but I saw some things. They they had a woman on stage. They put her in a chair. She's facing the audience. Oh, this is not going to end well. The dancer straddles her and he's facing the audience. So they're both facing outwards. Okay. He grabs her hands, puts them all over his chest. And we're laughing because it's kind of funny. You know what I mean? And she's feeling more awkward than everybody else watching, probably. He opens up his G-string and puts her hand in his package, on his package. And what? I would not be into that. She, uh, she loved it. Because like I said, Whoa. there's those women who want to go on stage and they want touching. And like they're, that's their thing. They're, they're, they have, I, I don't, what's the word? They have like, they're, there's, they're totally uninhibited. And I love those women. But I feel like you they're need. They're the women that like howl and scream at oh, yeah. all the movies. Like the, what were the stripping movies on? Magic Mike. Right. Those are the women who are howling at Magic Mike. Yeah. And they want they want to be touched and they want to do touching. I can't be that woman. I don't know. It just feels wrong to me. And I don't understand why. Clearly, I'm, inhi- I'm, I'm inhibited. <laughs> Thank goodness. Thank God. I have more respect for you because of it. I, I can't. Just- I can't do that. And she was like, and people were like putting their hands up. Bring me next. Bring me next. I was like slouching in the seat going, please, dear Jesus, do not bring me on stage. I don't want to be dry humped today. Not today. I, I wouldn't have given up. $100 to have you be that woman. <laughs> they actually put a woman on the stage. She's lying on her back on the stage. He grabs her by her ankles, pulls her up towards him, and then flips her over on her stomach and dry humped her on the stage. <laughs> And and as entertained as I was, and I'm like, thank you, dear Jesus Christ, that I was not dry humped today on this stage in front of 500 women because I would die. I would die. Sandra, I bet her eye wasn't leaking. <laughs> And then I kept thinking, I had to pee really badly at one point. And I thought, what if I go on stage and someone dry humps me and I accidentally have an accident? That's not how you want this show to end, boys, is it? Because I don't need... It's a different then, kind of show, I know, 100%. At the end of the night, they brought up a grandma on stage. No, like she was like in, was she? she? was in her 80s and she was hobbling on it. Like he very gingerly walked her up onto the stage. He's like, come on with me. He coaxed her up. And she was a great sport. He puts her on a chair and he's like, are you a dirty girl? And she said, yes, I'm a dirty girl. Oh. <laughs> so now I'm vomiting, not just because somebody's <laughs> rubbing their junk all over <laughs> other people, but also because grandma's having a great time <laughs> grandma was like having the night of her life plant there's no way well i don't know she seemed to be there with a bunch of people and it was a party atmosphere and grandma was like all up in that she loved it she was a oh. dirty girl she was full in and then she had every single guy gyrating on her at the end of the night and it was very funny to watch and it was liberating too it's like why wouldn't an 80 year old woman still enjoy men and and you know sex and all that it's stuff just weird i think it's it goes back to not wanting to see your parents do it right <laughs> like nobody wants to see that we all want to pretend it doesn't exist and let's just live in ignorant bliss <laughs> grandma wanted some action that night i'll tell you but i here's the thing i was wondering about the guys because they're also handsome and they're all in top physical condition i bet you at the end of the night there's just a bunch of cougars waiting at that oh. door and just looking for some action and they must be living the dream right now but they probably don't want it 
I just I can't imagine where they find these guys because I can't get my guy to dance at a wedding like a slow <laughs> dance in a full suit. <laughs> what would you do? Okay, because I because I watch these men dance. Even when I see Magic Mike, I laugh at the absurdity of it because it's absurd to me that a man would ever gyrate in front of me and think that's going to turn me on because it ain't. But I I just. I just think, would you actually want your guy to straddle you on a chair and then dry hump you like that? No. What I want to do is sit down on the couch and talk about our feelings. <laughs> that would get me excited. I just want him to look in my eyes and tell me I'm pretty. That's all. Right? Just tell me I'm pretty. You don't have to jiggle for me. I don't need any fancy maneuvers. Like, I look no. at Channing Tatum and I'm like, what are you doing? You're embarrassing yourself. Stop with that nonsense. It is ridiculous. It, I find it absolutely absurd that anybody, I just don't find that sexy when men do it. I find it more comical. And putting my hands down your pants, oh, please. Oh, God, no. Not happening today. Plus, I think they're all on steroids. So you know what happens to male testicles right. when they're on steroids. Yeah, it's not good. They shrink like the, gr- the, the Grinch's heart. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Every guy has different moves. As I learned this weekend, uh, having a job talking on the radio is very beneficial because no matter what, your partner will think that you are talking crap about them. So if you want to create or correct any behavior, you just have to talk about it on the air. I got stuck this week where... uh, Chris thought I was talking about him on the air and he brought his A game romantically. I didn't know it was happening. He uh, he shows up to my house. He's like super cuddly and super kind, and he's rubbing my back. And he like brings all the the A plus moves. Huh? Interesting. It was, it was the best. I, I I didn't know what was happening. I was swept off my feet. And then when it was done, he's like, "So uh, is everything okay?" Oh, interesting. What did he think was going on? I guess last week I talked about a friend of mine who's going through a tough time and we talked about uh, keeping romance fresh and he thought I was talking about us. Oh, my God. So he thought, okay, I'm in trouble. Hillary is speaking to me directly uh, through the radio. And because she I will talk to... crap about him all the time. Of course. Why, why, why pretend it's somebody else? Oh, you were talking about me? <laughs> no, I will just complain directly to you. Don't you worry. Exactly. I'm very direct. I know. This so sucks. The, the notion, though, on. the notion, though, that you would be like passive aggressively saying something. But I love that he tried to fix it. I wish I had kept the mystique alive. <laughs> so I don't know why I was like, no, 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 honey, it's okay. Because then it immediately ended. <laughs> you know, that makes me mad bad. when you say that, you know, like anybody who, you know, I don't want to speak ill of my husband, but when he does bring his A game, I'm like, why don't you always bring your A game? Why do you only bring your A game for anniversaries and special occasions? <laughs> do you know what I mean? So right. he only brings his A game when he thinks he's in trouble. That's wrong. Yeah, but that's, a, I have to admit that I don't always bring my A game. Like the, uh, the ugly cotton underwear makes a regular <laughs> appearance. You mean you don't always have lacy under things on? No. In fact, even when I try, that's when he's too tired. It's usually like when you look your worst that they want to be amorous. That's right. And that's when you haven't shaved your legs and your bikini line is a mess. But so be it. But 
I think it's because it makes them feel better about themselves. <laughs> they come after it. That's right. so strange. <laughs> so y'all good now? You, did you talk? So do you have like um, a ploy now maybe that you can make this work for you passive aggressively or no? <laughs> I've got to work on my manipulation game. I know it's hard to believe. I, I would say your manipulation game is strong. But accidentally. I need more intent. <laughs> I can help you with that if you want. <laughs> I know you can. I'm very, but I'm actually, uh, unlike you, I'm not very passive aggressive. I just say what's on my mind <laughs> Maybe every that's time where I'm I going have wrong. the thought. Yeah, just say, just, or like after sex, just say, that wasn't very good. Because <laughs> <I'll do that laughs> nothing inspires a man like beating him down. <laughs> that's <laughs> right down. That's right down to the nub. Okay, well, uh, well. That's not the first time we've talked about nubs today. Uh, oh, do you want to introduce the guest that we have? Because I she's in studio with to. you. Okay, perfect. So our guest today, I met on a street corner in the middle of winter. Oh, that sounds good. Good. Uh, uh, we are both Londonites. And uh, she's an incredible woman. After getting to know her a little bit more, uh, Kelly has told me so much about adventures and the life of a, a freelance TV producer and director. And I'm so excited to bring her here because you won't even believe some of the stuff that she's seen in her life. Please welcome to the Quick and the Dirty podcast, Kelly Peckham. Hello. Yay. Yay, Kelly now, Peckham. If people want to find your stuff, what is the name of your production company? Just so it's called Wide Eye Television. Okay, and so WideEyeTelevision.com is the website, and I met. You're it. Can we, <laughs> Kelly, can it's we start me. off? It's all you need. Can we start off tell by you. telling the story of how you and Hillary met? Because I'm intrigued about that street corner <laughs> encounter. To be what? honest. You know, I really have found I've worked with thousands of people in my career being freelance, right? You get to really see a lot of people and see them in action and meet them. And there are just some people you connect with. And we went to this big event. It's a networking event in London. And I networked all night long. And then I'm leaving and it's crap weather and it's snowing and it's slushing and it's awful. And I'm walking out of the restaurant and there's this woman behind me and I just made a flippant comment, something about the weather. And we just ended up starting to talk in the last five minutes of our event. And it's like, wow, we have got to have lunch. <laughs> and it was just one of those weird connections that you make that it's yeah. a good one. Right? You immediately know you want to drink with somebody. Yes. That's that exactly. Was, that's funny. And that you'll get more interesting as the night goes oh, on, absolutely. right? absolutely. <laughs> that's funny because Hillary and I met at a swim-up bar in the Bahamas. Same story. You just start talking <laughs> oh and the next thing you know, you're hammered and making inappropriate jokes with the locals. You know, that's how it goes. <laughs> I think that was when you renamed my boyfriend at the time Ricola. Yeah. <laughs> Because <laughs> <That's right. laughs> he was Austrian. <laughs> was, oh my God, it was okay. very bad. And very we talked. Bad. Okay, we had to, we were at a swim up bar on an offshore <laughs> island, and we had to take a boat. And there was uh, there were several very good looking men in wetsuits on the boat. So we were talking a lot about the man in the boat and. <laughs> It got very inappropriate. I tried to flick him a couple of times, but it didn't go over as well as I had hoped. Anyway, back to Kelly. Okay, here we go now. Where do we start? Kelly, I don't even know. You've told me so many stories in the, in the time that we've 
spent together about your career and the crazy places that you've gone because uh, you've done a lot of documentary television. You've been all over the globe uh, exploring things, but maybe uh, start with the most memorable experience you've ever had while on location. Well, I don't know. I think I should start with strippers. Yeah, you should. <laughs> there seems to be a theme here. Oh, wow. Okay, let's do that. Well, let's put it this way. So people think that television is really glamorous. It's not. It is hard work and it's fun and it's adventure. But my God, I've been in pig barns. I've been I, I've I've been up to my ankles in spiders and sheep crap in <laughs> Scotland. I've been like it's but it started off. I started I left London. I left this TV station uh, here in London to go work on a show called The Shirley Show. I don't know if you remember that show. It was a talk show. I, I totally like I remember. Might. Yep. Okay, so this is the dregs of starting in television in Toronto. And one of the shows I had to do, because it was a talk show, was called... Um uh, oh, there's my there's my blank in the brain. Oh, men as sex objects. Okay. So we had to we had all these men who make their living off of their looks and their sex appeal, and we had on a male stripper. So I had to take a crew and go to one of your favorite style strip joints with this crew. <laughs> and we had this guy named Mr. Magic. And we f- filmed him and we put clips on, on the on what the show. What you could show. What we could show on the show. <laughs> and then we circulated all the stuff we couldn't show to all the women and all the other productions. <laughs> so we uh, so fast forward about six months and I get set up on a date with a friend of a friend. And this guy's very intellectual and really nice. And we go out, we're both big film buffs. So we go see a documentary about Maplethorpe, which was a very highly controversial photographer, right? Who took a lot of sexual... Anyway, so they started it off with a short film from the Canadian Film Centre produced by this guy. and, and, And in it, they had a full sex scene uh, that was supposed to be 1970s porn, but okay. they were actually having sex. And I'm sitting beside this guy, and I looked up on the screen, and I, screen and I said, I know him. <laughs> <laughs> and and if it wasn't awkward enough watching porn with on a guy a I've just date? met on a first date, it got really awkward at that point, right? Uh. And uh, sure enough, there's Mr. Magic up having sex on the screen. So uh. how did you explain that to your date? That's when we became very good friends. <laughs> it went nowhere else. And he became one of my best friends. And we still laugh about it to this day, like 25 years later. So it's not all uh, male genitalia in no, your world. No, no, there is some. No, it's, uh, no I've, done a lot, uh, I've done a lot of documentary, which is great. Um, and I've done a lot of documentary series, which means it actually pays well because it shows up on TV. Uh, but I've done lifestyle. I've done, done kids programming. I've done current affairs and news. Um, and being freelance, you get so many opportunities. And, and I'm one of these people that gets bored very, very quickly, which is probably why I didn't live with anybody till I was 40. Right. <laughs> so you're always looking for that next story and that next Absolutely. piece of action. But when you started doing this, were there any specific stories that you wanted to tell? Uh, not specifically. I did a lot of that in my spare time. Like I ended up working for charities and grabbing a little camera and going, telling, telling their stories around the world. And I found this 
this loophole with the with CETA where you know it doesn't come out of their program fund. I could grab a camera and they could have five thousand bucks. I'd borrow the tech, I'd borrow the editing, I'd get all the people I know on board in the industry, and I travel around the world and shoot videos for charities to try and help them out. And that kind of filled that space for me. You can't always tell stories you love, but you can get yourself in a in a swing where you can you can tell stories you respect. Right. Because it's whatever's whatever's it's a business. Right. So you have to make money at the same time. So while I was doing lifestyle, I was doing lifestyle that I enjoyed, that I thought people would find entertaining, that didn't demean. Then when I got into reality programming, that also was really important to me to tell stories that that people would get something out of instead of. So rather than, you know, married to the mob, which I turned down, I did Till Debt to Us Part, and I created that show uh, to try and help people with their finances. And honest- Oxlade, I'm a huge fan. There you go. She's amazing. <laughs> and and that show did really, really well because it's a t- subject more taboo than sex. We can always bring it back to sex. It's more taboo <laughs> than sex. I have my money jars. That's all I will say. <laughs> <laughs> but we, we really helped people with that show. And that I felt really good about. But then when I got back into documentary with Discovery Channel, that's where you get the real adventures. Like early in my career, I did a show called Flight Path, which was an aviation series. And I worked with a legendary uh, journalist named Michael McClear. I mean, he I learned so much. And it's funny because when I started, I was a researcher and, and I said to him, I really want to direct one of the episodes. And he said, you know, what they always say, well, can you? It's like, yes, I can. So well, because you were also a woman working in a field that Maybe wasn't so dominated by very women at the macho. Time. Yeah, so I got a show about ultralights, and once I proved so, what's an ultralight <laughs> for those tiny little airplane that basically has a lawnmower engine on the back, and uh, and you know people fly around in these, and then when they realized that I could do the job, uh, and when they realized when you put women in the military to do these these really high adventure shows. You get if they know what they're talking about. You get more cooperation than the male directors would ever get. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. So you know, I went to Germany and we flew with the AWACS, the big uh, radar airplane over uh, over Bosnia, and uh, and and commanded jets and refueled in the air. And you know, I got to go into uh, Kosovo with a Canadian helicopter unit in the middle of the war. And were you uh, terrified? No, I was. I was energized, totally energized. There was nothing yeah, about that it. that terrified you in the least. No, it terrified my parents, though. Of course, it did. <laughs> they are so great. My and heart, yeah, my insurance. heart just jumped when you said, "Oh, you know, you know, Bosnia, you know, Kosovo." I'm hearing that, and I'm thinking, "What's wrong with you, woman?" <laughs> <laughs> You know, but I'm not one of those people that has to be on the front lines. I'm not stupid. I, I'm one of those people that I knew that there was going to be, you know, support. I knew we had, you know, people who were armed guards that were going to be around us all the time. Um, I think one of the most terrifying things I did was uh, in Oka during the crisis. Oh, really? Yeah, I was working for Canada AM and uh, the, the whole situation had just gone to crap. And there was there were rumors that uh, the military was going to go in and there was going to be bloodshed. Uh, the barrier had been up for a long time. Several people on I was working for Canada AM. Several people had gone, um, so they booked me to go. They booked me a flight. I had an hour to go home and collect, you know, a few things. And I was going to be living in my car at the bottom of the barricade. 
And uh, I flew out there and and I got there at, uh, I think, 9 or 10 o'clock at night and I needed a guest on the air for the next morning. And, be, and not, nobody could – nobody was there to book anything. I had to go up over the barricade. So I'm standing at the bottom of the hill. This is about a kilometer long hill. There's spike belts across the hill. There's bunkers all the way up it with, with military – armed military all the way up, and the warriors are standing in giant spotlights shining down the hill, standing up along the barricade, and I had my notebook. And I, <laughs> and thank were God were for you that. shaking? I was shaking. I would think I was 28 at the time, and I thought, I need a guest. So I walked all, and the military said, if you go up there, we can't help you. You're on your own. So if you walk past that spike belt, you're entirely on your own. So I grabbed my notebook and I walked up the hill in the spotlight, and I sat down behind, beside the guys on the barricade and just said, them, tell me what's happening. Tell me what's going on. And got my guest, And because uh, we had to be on the air at 6.30 the next morning. That's insane. Yeah. I can't imagine. And you're volunteering to put yourself in that kind of danger, and your bosses know that they're putting you in that kind of danger. Well, no one else on the show would go at that point. <laughs> they didn't want to send a freelancer because they had to pay me. But, uh, but no, it's you know what it is? You're in the middle of the biggest story of the day. And I only believe what people are telling me on the air so much. I wanted to see it for myself. Right. And yeah. you wanted to tell authentic stories, not just some sort of – I think the news that we get now is so overblown or um, over-exaggerated or one-sided. It's so hard to – it's a competitive marketplace. You tell the most exciting story, you'll garner the biggest audience. Yeah, right? and and watching it, I'm sure you felt compelled to sit there and tell the truth of the story, too. I mean, there's a responsibility that you must have felt, obviously. You do, and somebody says to you, you know, we knew that there were militarized people there from both sides of the border, but I met some people who were, you know, peacefully protesting with their kids, that day and could show me the bullet holes in the in the trees where they had been shot at. And what did you and learn from that experience? I about learned, yourself, actually. Um, I learned that 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 I I need to, I need that adrenaline rush to be happy. I need that I need that challenge to really the most memorable things in, in my career have been things where I, I I it was the hardest for me right where I had to really push to get to the truth and I love it because. You, it, it colors how you look at everything in your life, right? It's, it's fun, and it's fun, and it's people. It's stories. It's telling stories. Storytelling is an art, and it's I love it. What's the most difficult story you've ever had to tell, like heartbreaking? Because I know you've done traveling all over the world, and you've mm-hmm. seen some amazing things, but also some terrifying things. Mm-hmm. Uh, we did a story with the sex trade workers um, in uh, in India on World AIDS Day. And so we were going through areas where people were living between buildings on the railway tracks. And uh, we met a large group of women who were all prostitutes, and we were doing condom demonstrations with them for World AIDS Day in a back alley away from prying eyes because they are living next to the tracks and raising their children there. And we went to the school where all of their children were getting their education and you pretty much knew that all those little girls were going to follow their moms into the sex trade because there was nowhere else for them to go. That was that was hard. I'd say that's the most brutal kind of yeah, that was the most brutal thing I'd ever really had to 
confront. And, and to, how yeah. long did that stay with you? Like, how do you move on from that? Um, you know, I felt I was working with a charity at that time, and I felt that they were doing such good work that I was I was encouraged. You know, it was something to look forward to. Uh, when we were in Kosovo, we got to see some mass graves. When we were um, we got taken out beyond the barricade where the military weren't actually allowed to go with a bunch of security people. We, they took us to a home where people had been put into rooms, hundreds, and shot and killed. And when you go in the basement, you could just see. You know how when you have a leak in your ba- from upstairs mm-hmm. to downstairs, and you get the water marks all the way around the ceiling tiles. Yeah, that was all blood. Oh my god! And, and that I, I would ha- yeah, I guess that would be the one where I came back and I actually I, I had a little PTSD from that because and and they didn't even show me the worst of it. So the people who do that on a regular basis to bring us our stories. And to bring us their insight and, and put themselves in danger, I have a huge amount of respect for them. And they really, really are passionately uh, attached to what they're doing to bring those stories home. And if they weren't there, God knows, you know, we, these things would be happening around the world. No one would even be aware of it. And that's why when I hear fake news media and the news be- media being denigrated, it's like you have no idea how hard people work to and, and how much they give up. To, to tell their stories, even on even on the show that just got shut down, Daily Planet. I mean, how many times have we all left our families behind and gone off for two weeks to, to tell great science stories around the world? I can remember a special coming together and one of my girlfriends was, you know, singing the Hanukkah song, you know, with her little girl on Facebook, <laughs> you know, because she had to be there till midnight to finish her cut. That's so sad. Yeah, but there's so much sacrifice that goes into this for people's enlightenment, entertainment or whatever. But boy, I'll tell you what you get out of it as a human being, the people you meet, the places you go, the things you learn. Like you can make gin out of ants. You can make beer (laughs) out of beards. I had an ant infestation this spring. I could have learned a lot from you, Kelly. I bet they taste like lemons. What? (laughs) I don't know if I can do that. But that's that's the fun. You have to balance it out. I didn't do all serious things. I did a lot of fun things. I love kids programming. I love... Um, I love science programming. Daily Planet was a blast. It was a lot of hard work. It was a lot of long hours. It was, you know, getting up at three in the morning to do interviews in Singapore. And you know, it was that. But it was, boy, oh, boy, it was a lot of fun. It was a great ride. So, Kelly, you've seen the best in humanity. You've seen the worst in humanity. And we're talking about storytelling. How do you get people to tell their stories authentically? Is there a technique you use? Because I'm going to take some notes for the podcast, <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> Okay, I have I have a couple of tricks. Um, it, it, they have to like you first, so you have to be really, really warm and inviting. You never just jump into something. We usually do a little bit of filming with people first before we do an interview, so that they relax and they enjoy themselves. Uh, listening to the top of your podcast gave me a chance to ra- relax and laugh and enjoy both of you before I had to get in front of the mic. Um, when it gets real, when it gets really serious, um, you have to allow there to be space. You never jump in and fill space. When you force somebody to fill a space and to take it one step further from what they've said, they'll be authentic because they have to dig deeper. And then there's one other technique. I'll get through and you'll see somebody really isn't giving you the true story and they're telling you what they think they want you, you to hear or what you, they think you want to hear. And then I'll look at them and I'll say, honestly, though, what do you really think about that? And they'll stop and they'll go, Oh, well, honestly. And then they'll tell you. Right. It's amazing. It's like it's like you've turned a key 
and and they do, and people open up, and and that's when it becomes really real. Whether it's a whether it's a kids show or a science show or a lifestyle show or somebody's getting their finances in place, like at that show we had people calling me up. I was the senior producer calling me up at midnight, one o'clock in the morning, saying, "I, I can't do it. I'm leaving." And because and, it's hard to do, you know, getting your finances under control is a hard thing to do. And uh, but that that connection that you get what you want. Uh, there was a story we did after the hurricane went through Puerto Rico um, and I did five stories in six days. I went in with one or two stories kind of maybe. And in six days, we came back with five great features. And one of them, I just lined up while I was there. Somebody sent me a note from the office saying there's an island off the coast of Puerto Rico with a whole bunch of monkeys on it that they've been doing research on it for like 80 plus years. And the island's been wiped out. So we went over to Monkey Island and this woman, I'm interviewing her and we've got the perfect lighting and it's all nice and we've been with them all day and I'm interviewing her and it's like, well, how long have you been involved in this? And she's talking to me and she just broke right down and started to cry. And she said, this has been my life. You know, we have to start from scratch. And then she's telling me what she's learned from the resiliency of the monkeys and how they just have to follow their lead and just come back at it and do it all over again. And that story got uh, nominated for a major science journalism award out of New York. And it was because she was so real and she was so raw and she gave it all because we put her in a comfortable place to talk about what it meant to her personally. We can talk about the science. We can talk about which monkeys they've had problems with and how they're getting out there to feed them every day. But, man, it's, it's, it's really important to somebody, and that came across. Now, working in media mm-hmm. and having the sort of lifestyle that you would need to be available to, to go cover a story on a moment's notice – have you had to make sacrifices personally to make that happen? Or do you feel like this was always your destiny? Um, I think that, uh, yeah, I did. Um, I didn't feel like a sacrifice, though, because it's what I wanted. Um, being freelance, the first four years I, I had moved to Toronto and I left a full-time job here to move there for an eight-month contract and you know, didn't make a whole lot more money, but I doubled my cost of living. And yeah, I can remember. <laughs> I've been there. You've been I started there. in Toronto. Yeah. yeah. And and I drove, I can remember driving around and not being able to afford to buy a, to buy a bottle of water or a pop, you know, on a hot mm-hmm. summer day and taking a resume in and making nice with the receptionist and turning around to say goodbye and seeing them throw it in the garbage. Oh. I mean, I went through all of that, right? And four years, I almost starved in Toronto. I was too proud to ask for help. Uh, but once you get going with your freelance career, mm-hmm. you have to keep yourself open. You have to – there are a lot of things you can't do because you never know where you need to be. I have not taken a pottery course because I never had eight consecutive weeks right. I could take a pottery <laughs> course, right? How about relationships? I mean, you're traveling all the time. You talked about your friends who uh, have children and are, mm-hmm. are doing the Hanukkah song by video. How do you maintain – I mean, you have a, a lovely relationship with your husband. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's, a, he's a very tolerant husband. He's a very forgiving husband. Um, I, was, I didn't meet Sean until I was 40. And honest to God, I scared the crap out of men. And that's just the way it was. Had you been married before or is this nope. your first? First time I ever lived with anybody. So do men just see you as a free spirit and, uh, you know, you're just sort of like a nomad in some ways? Well, they think it's all so glamorous and they don't think they stack up. Well, I think men, they think that 
their job is to be needed and to nurture yeah, in some way or take care of you. And I don't need anybody. You've flown over <laughs> active war zones. I, I, you know what? I'm with somebody because I want to be with them, not because I need right. them. I don't hey, need you've them. been you know to what? Monkey Island, Opening girl. Jars. You know. Oh, the big jars. But you know what? That's that's a good that's a good relationship to me because we don't need each other. We want to be together and we want to spend time together. And when I go traveling, I miss them. Right. And technology makes it easier. We Skype every night, you know. But when I was younger, I would go out on dates. I can remember my my cousin set me up with a with a paramedic. And we went out for dinner and we had a nice dinner. We're talking about stuff and he's telling me about his job and and I'm actually genuinely interested in what he does. And then I'm telling him about my job. And I love it when people are interested in my work. Mm-hmm. And it's fun. And I'm, I love to tell the stories of my work. And I just come back from a great big trip. And at the end of it all, he said to me, oh, I don't do anything as, as interesting as that. And I said, oh, my God, you save lives. What are you talking about? <laughs> I make pretty pictures. You save lives. He said, no, no, no. And he said to my, my cousin later, she was really nice. I really liked her. But there's no way I can compete with that. It's like, it's not a competition. Right. I've had that too, actually. Have you ever had uh, a guy be intimidated by what you do, Sandra? Uh, Yeah, I feel like mostly my personality will put people off because I'm... uh... I'm sort of loud and I get in people's faces and I like to be the center of attention and not not a lot of guys necessarily want to um, be involved in that. Sandra's also like nearly six feet tall. Oh, I'm a little person. I'm just loud. I guess I'm loud and I'm brash and you know, you know how it is. You know, you're not everybody's cup of tea and I totally under, I get that and I feel like men would mostly be intimidated by me just mostly because of my size and, and the size of my mouth. Uh, but yeah, I totally, I totally get that. But I want to, I want to ask you something, you know, when I watch, um, the news and I see, uh, various female reporters who are embedded, you know, in various places around the world in war-torn countries, I often think to my, I always ask myself, and it's funny because I never ask, I never ask myself that when I see a man, but when I see a woman, I always wonder, I wonder if she has a family. I wonder if she has children. I wonder if she has a husband. And I wonder if they fundamentally understand that this is a calling because it would have to be a calling in life for you to to leave mm-hmm. behind all of that to do to tell these stories that need to be told uh do you feel that this is a calling i do i do i think that uh and and i have a curious mind and i like people so when i can't have that experience of getting to know people and getting out and seeing the world and going to these cool locations i i, I don't know i get bored with myself um, and that calling does keep me going. It's never gotten to the point where I want to put myself in mortal danger. Like any time I was in a, I, I don't know, I was I was scared a couple of times. But, but you know, for me, it's more like you know, there are positive stories out there. They're interested. Uh-huh. Be inspired. You know, we've got we've got two young guys at NASA, JPL, who are t- designing a balloon that's going to slow the Mars lander to let us go live on Mars. And they've been at it for eight years. And we're going to their final test in the desert. And they're saying, they're saying, yeah, come on along. You know, come tell our story. No problem. Wow. It's like, OK, this is the last time we get to do this. If this doesn't work, they're going to cancel our funding. Talking about stakes in your story. Like, right. There's some really good stakes in the story. And and there we are telling their story. And I'm thinking, I'm hoping people are inspired by this. Right. Like, look at what we can do. Look what can happen. You know, we've got a lab in, at Harvard that's making rechargeable batteries the size of a grain of sand. 
You know, another woman who's making a printer that you can print entire drones on because they figured out how to print all the electronics into it. So you can order something off of Amazon and, you know, hit your printer button and it prints for you and there's your product. Like these are brilliant people who are willing to dedicate their lives to taking us somewhere else. God, those are great stories to tell. Absolutely. Do you ever find that when you come back, though, after seeing all these amazing people and these amazing ideas and incredible things that you look at? Our everyday existence, and it's rather lackluster. <laughs> I, I do. I am a bit of an adrenaline junkie. I do kind of have to get out, and that's one of the things that has been a kind of a rub with my my husband and I because he was not a big adventurer. He is the kind of guy who orders the same thing at the restaurant every time. I will order every single thing on the menu before I go back to the same thing again. Right, mm-hmm. and we're very different that way. But we've got that great push pull. He lets me be who I need to be. And if I need to go on a trip or I need to go do a show somewhere else in the country or even in the States, he says to me, you do what you've got to do. He's like the squishiest, kindest man I've met Kelly's husband. (laughs) He's so nice. You just want to hug him. Yeah, he's 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 a hugger. He's got dimples. Uh, But you can see the care he has for Kelly, the, the genuine concern. And I would imagine that sending you off on your way, as much as he wants to see you live and flourish, that must be really hard on him. Well, we did have a, a serious conversation that um, once we got together, I wouldn't do any more war zones because he didn't feel that it was good for us, <laughs> i.e. he could not survive it, right? He would worry too much. I mean, it's hard enough to worry about me going up and down the highway to Toronto on a regular basis right, in the middle you, of the night to edit. Yeah. Um, when I'm going off traveling, he's – but he's – I can remember getting offered a job in the middle of interior BC and I'd have to go for six months. And I, I said to him, I've been offered this job and this is what it would pay and it's a brand new show and they need me to produce it. And he said, if you want to do it, honey, yeah, absolutely. It's up to you. I said, oh, thank God I do not want to do this. But I was really happy. He said, yes. I don't know, testing him in a way, right? But he's always good about, yeah, you go, you do. And every once in a while, the nice thing is he can hook up with me and meet me. So I'm there. The flight's covered. I've got a hotel room for a couple of nights. He comes and joins me. We've done that in California. We've driven the Pacific Coast Highway. Mm-hmm. I'm now dragging him to places like Thailand and other places. That's that going to be, up. what's he going to eat there? Well, and this is the funny <laughs> thing. He nearly canceled. He nearly canceled two days before we left on our big adventure to Thailand because he didn't think there would be anything he could eat. Uh, and I'm serious. He thought he would starve to death. And, and we got there within two days of being in Bangkok, which is really the worst of Thailand. He looked at me and he said, if you die. I'm moving to an island here, and I'm going to be Obi-Shan Kenobi. And that's it. <laughs> like, to give you an idea of how simple, I, I feel his palate's pretty simple. Yeah. Kelly had me over for lunch. We had salmon and salad, and he had a wrap. <laughs> <laughs> he couldn't handle the salmon? Yep. It was too exotic yep. for him? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is it. Oh Irish boy raised meat and potatoes, salt well, and pepper. what are you yeah. going to do, right? Yeah, but it's nice to see him breaking out of that and, and finding the adventure in life. It's wonderful to discover that with him. And honestly, he grounds me a little bit. I enjoy spending more time closer to home when I have him there, him and my dog, right? Uh, but at the same time, I, I do get that hit that wall where I get a little antsy and it's like, oh, I have got to go someplace. <laughs> and even And the nice thing about freelance is that growing up, in Toronto, um, I could go, I, I'd do shows. I'd so see work your butt off for mm-hmm. eight months, and then I'd go somewhere exotic for a month or two. I'd just take myself on trips. I never bought a house. 
I, I lived a single life. I had a great time. And while I was in my 20s, 30s, and 40s, I traveled all over the world on somebody else's dime or my own. Honestly, when I met Kelly, we were on the street corner. <laughs> on that street corner, that fateful <laughs> street that, corner. Yeah. <laughs> Within, we were just waiting for the light, and I think it must have been two minutes. We were standing there. Maybe I learned that uh, she and she had this amazing husband. She had chosen not to have kids, and I was in a kind of a difficult period in my life where I realized that I'm probably not going to have my own, and and dealing with that. And I saw this woman who was so jazzed by life and so inspired and happy in her choices that I was so immediately drawn to that passion for just doing you. I think I've always felt very guilty for being selfish about my career and making my career number one. And it was so inspiring to see you be unapologetically passionate about it. It's funny. Somebody put something on Facebook last week and it said something to the effect of, ladies, can you imagine 15 years from now and, you know, you have no kids, you're traveling the world, you're the exotic auntie, and you uh, come back occasionally to be fabulous and uh, and you have a suspicious amount of money. And I thought... I can absolutely imagine that. <laughs> that is me. Uh, and, you know, and I, I've lost out on the on the concerts and the snuggles with the kids and everything else. And it, had I met Sean earlier in life, they, you know, I may have gone that direction. Uh, but we met when we were 40 and I thought, oh, my God, no. There's no way I'm going to start that now. <laughs> I have not got the, you know, I've got the energy to go to Thailand. I do not have the energy to do that. <laughs> to raise children. To raise children at this point in my life, yeah. Kelly, are there any other stories that you have on your sort of like your wish list stories that you want to tell that you haven't told yet? Um, yes. <laughs> there are. they a secret? Some of them are secrets. Are they? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I've got, uh, I'm going to BC in July and um, I've got a uh, friend who has found a mystery in BC that could be one of the wealthiest mysteries in the world. And uh, we're hiring a crazy guy, wealthy guy with a helicopter who likes the media and wants to get involved and to take us out there. And it's, it's yeah. So you have a thing for helicopters. I love helicopters. Like it might be a fetish. <laughs> <laughs> I, have a, I have a thing for the people who fly the helicopters. Does your oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. when you're in a helicopter? <laughs> yeah, I got to tell you, growing up in London, I worked at the airport to, all through high school and university. And we always had the air show. And I became obsessed with men in flight suits. <laughs> and it then was I, a career-defining moment. It was. And then I turned 25 and I start working on an aviation series for Discovery Channel where I spend all my time with pilots. And I thought, this there's a reason for things. And there's yeah. a reason you didn't live with anyone. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, obviously, your career is all built on your subconscious. Let's be it honest is. here. You Absolutely. just want to be near a flight suit. That's right. One yeah. final question. Do you have a flight suit for Sean? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm looking. (laughs) I am looking. Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today on The Quick and the Dirty. I I so value our friendship and uh, the fact that you're in my life. And I'm so glad I got to share you with Sandra. Oh, and Sandra, we have to have drinks. Uh, In my mind, we already have, okay? Because we're already best friends and I've already friended you on Facebook. While we're... (laughs) Thank you can you be my so best friend too. Thank you so it's much, Kelly. Really fun.
And don't forget to follow The Quick and the Dirty on social. Instagram, at Hillary on air, at Sandra Kiss 105.3. Twitter, at Hillary Welch, at Sandra Kiss 105.3. And Facebook, at Quick and Dirty Podcast. If you've got a question for us, you can email us at thequickandthedirty at gmail.com.